Hello and welcome everybody to According to Andrew number 82, Nationalism and Associated Questions with Nationalism. Um, so this is a topic that I have found interesting for a while. Mainly, um, I started thinking about it when Vox started talking about uh, what is nationalism and and um, all these other aspects and uh, you know, just because you live in America and people in your past moved to America, you're not necessarily American because the Americans are the ones uh, who are descended from the uh, original British colonists that fought um, in the Revolutionary War to separate and create a new political entity uh, from the their British brethren over in uh, the, the United Kingdom. So... That's kind of the history of it. Um, Vox defines uh, nation, and I believe uh, he's correct in this, by uh, blood, language, religion, culture, and tradition. Um, and this is where things get kind of muddied, because, um, so, for instance, in my case, uh, my family moved over here in, like, 1820 from Ireland, and so I'm, like, probably, like, seven or eight generations or something like that, and, but... Like, I'm still technically Irish, but am I really Irish? Like, it's kind of this weird in-between. Um, and so I had a lot of questions on um, what nationalism is, what it is, and so I kind of dived, and it's a muddy topic. Like, you're never really going to get clear-cut answers to some of this stuff. There's a lot of uh, questions in there about uh, this or that other thing. And the reason for that is yes some of it is kind of kind of muddy like right now i'm i'm technically an americanized irishman right uh bloodline wise i go back to ireland language wise i speak uh, english which technically the original language of ireland is gaelic so like most uh, basically all irishmen that don't speak gaelic have kind of lost an aspect of their uh, national identity because of that um Culturally, I'm American. Uh, Traditions-wise, I guess I'm American. I, we don't have that many uh, unique traditions in my family uh, that you can draw specifically being uh, as American traditions. Anyway, uh, and then religion, uh, I'm Catholic, which uh, is not the, the nominal... American culture is the WASP culture, right? The white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Um, Catholic is not obviously a, a Protestant denomination. Uh, so that's kind of kind of where I stand. I'm in this like weird in-between middle ground, and I don't know if I maybe if I went to back to Ireland, I would uh, reacculturate really easily, or maybe at least my kids would. Uh, if I went over there and got married to some Irish lady, um, and we integrated and it, everything worked out fine, but uh, maybe not. You know, I my family's been over here for 200-ish years, and, you know, it took 400 years for the Americans to uh, basically branch off and form their own nation. Uh, maybe I'm kind of halfway on the way to being my own national thing. Not personally, but, uh, you know, those people that have been separated from their homeland for that long, um, that don't really know which side of the aisle they identify with are kind of in this weird middle ground, and they don't know really where they... They stand. So uh, some stuff that I wrote on this a while back uh, that is a way that it kind of all balances out um, is uh, this makes things confusing. So Vox Day defines a nation as a group of people 
who are connected by blood, language, religion, culture, and tradition. This makes it confusing when dealing with immigration as children of the immigrants will share blood with the home nation and likely the religion. However, they will have lost the language, culture, and tradition of their home nation, and this only becomes more pronounced over successive generations, typically. During the transition from the heritage of the home nation to the host, uh, these ethnic groups are a nation unto themselves, neither of the home country or of the host. Over about three to four generations, the blood, language, religion, culture, and tradition will be more of the host nation due to interbreeding. Uh, this would then consider the immigrants' descendants fully assimilated. However, the identity of the host nation has been permanently altered by a, to accommodate these people who have altered the blood, language, religion, and culture, and traditions of the host nation with aspects that they brought over from their uh, when they were adopted by the host nation. This only works with relatively small-scale immigration or a solution situation like the United States had where ton, uh, there was tons of room for immigrants to move west and create their own communities while the heritage Americans uh, giving time for this transition to happen. This model does not account for immigrants from radically different nations like the immigration that we see today, but I thought uh, it helped resolve some of the identity uh, crisis that some people are feeling, myself obviously included, in that. Um, and that's, this was kind of a, so the way uh, e. Michael Jones kind of sees the religion or the na nationality type situation is in America, your nationality is more tied up with your religion than your um, bloodline and stuff like that. And there's an aspect of that that's definitely true. And this is kind of, I don't want to say resolved it, but this is kind of a way that um, makes both of those viewpoints work together. Not necessarily that they have to, but um, I believe reflects better the actual situation on the ground as it were uh but uh to continue on i had other questions about what a nation nation is what nationalities are all that kind of stuff um and i haven't i went back and, and looked at some of my old questions and i had a lot of questions about this stuff and at the time i wasn't equipped to answer them and i think i might be now uh we'll kind of dive into them and see uh what we got so uh, are states, especially strong centralized ones, necessary for na national identity? And this also goes to another question that I asked myself relatively recently. Uh, were the French French before the Napoleonic era? Uh, did the national identity of France exist before Napoleon, or was France an empire of smaller principalities and nationalities? So if you look at the picture here on that I have, it's of uh, the German nationality the thing that kind of started to form but before that there were a bunch of principalities and they were perfectly happy to kind of be seen as their separate principalities and uh italy's a big one that's kind of a similar situation where uh you know they're they identify with more their their smaller home regions than the overall larger identity of italy uh so we'll see what uh, and italy has been fractured basically continuously since the roman empire days up until very recently when it was unified in like 1890, I think. It was pretty late. It was after Germany. Uh, Germany German unification was 1870. Uh, and so it's just kind of an interesting aspect, I guess, is the best way to say it. Um, so, you know, the state, while it, it isn't the identity, we have like these things, the, the nation state is the um, thing. It... I have a feeling it, it plays a role in the in creating part of the identity, right? Uh, the Pledge of Allegiance and the flag in America, uh, 
helps create a cultural identity. Um, I, and the big thing that does create culture and identity over time is um, isolation and what was the other factor? Isolation and time, I think. So uh, the more uh, culture spends isolated from other cultures, it develops its own way of thinking, own way of doing things because it can't just look at what other people are doing and adopt and and figure out what they're doing and be like, oh, we'll just take that and copy it or just take that and uh, modify it slightly. They kind of got to be like, okay, well, uh, let's think of things and do them this way. And this is why uh, Japan has like this crazy history of, because they've been, they had probably one of the more extreme isolationist uh, situations within world history where they, they were isolated for so long and kind of got to develop what it is to be Japanese for so long that they have this very unique culture that you don't find in other areas. Like you have different culture, like uh, cultures, but like it's, it's a starker difference between Japan and a lot of other, their neighbors that are pretty similar to them uh, or would in theory be similar to them. And a, a lot of the stuff they adapted from China, uh, it's still a starker difference than, um, let's say like France and Germany or something like that. And you see this, you see these stark differences more with the islands than anywhere else. Like uh, Britain's got this uh, crazy um, freedom bent and same with America, mainly because it's a colony of, of Britain uh, because it's a, it's this island. And so it's a little bit more isolated. It can take some risks on some of these ideological things and it won't just be crushed by its neighbors when it's in disorder for long periods of time trying to figure out what wacky new uh, ideological thing they're going to try out next. Uh, if you try to do that in Russia, you get crushed. If you try to do that in Poland, you get crushed. And it did happen in Poland and uh, in Russia, respectively. Uh, so that's where you find um, nations that are in a situation where they can easily be destroyed by their neighbors because they can't uh, stay isolated don't usually have usually kind of play the safe game and keep things more centralized more authoritarian uh, stick with what works because if they they try to experiment and it doesn't go well the chance that they remain a independent nation is pretty low uh, because their neighbors are just going to come and gobble them up basically uh, that's that's effectively the history of the Poland-Lithuanian Commonwealth. <clears throat> they tried some wacky stuff, and it was pretty cool and worked for a little bit, but um, because they were right next to very strong neighbors, it didn't work out in the long run. And so, um, but yeah, so nation-states definitely have an aspect to them that helps develop the identity of the culture they're in, but then also the culture uh, helps develop, you know, what the the national um, body looks like. So it's kind of a give and take. Uh, were the French French before Napoleon? It's kind of hard to say, but he did do a lot of things to kind of unify and homogenize uh, what it is to be France instead of uh, New Orleans and stuff like that. Uh, you see the same thing in the Revolutionary War where uh, people were uh, Virginians or New Yorkers or... Mer from Maryland and things like that, uh, they weren't Americans. And after the Civil War, when it was like, you know, there, there, it wasn't 50 states that were working together. It was one united 
country with uh, subser- one federally run thing with subservient smaller polities in these state local regions. Uh, once it changed to that, you had a, a homogenization of the culture uh, a little bit more. I mean, obviously, it still took time. You uh, you still have uh, Dixie and Yankee identification differences uh, between the North and the South for many years. Still kind of now, but now it's more bifurcated between uh, rural and uh, urban in United States. But those are the kind of things that um, change over time. Uh, another factor that could have created the nation is a ban on cousin marriages by the Catholic Church back in the day. So generally, how tribes stayed together was they would... Uh, you Your tribe was fairly small and could stay fairly small as long as you kind of allowed uh, cousin marriages. First cousins are, is always a problem. Second cousins, uh, I think you have less defective issues. But I, th- I think it was first cousin marriages that they banned. Um, but uh, you're, you have defect issues, but they're not super pronounced. And when you live in a pretty small tribe, uh, cousin marriages are going to be fairly prominent because there's just not enough people within the tribe to um, to create new families with. So that's going to be a fairly common practice. Now, that changes... If you, if you get rid of cousin marriages, then it kind of breaks a, apart the ability for people to remain at the tribe size of group. Now, because they have to intermarry with outside tribes and stuff like that, it, it forces them to basically make the group larger. And since the uh, nation is effectively the farthest extent that you can trace the family lineage out to, this made it so tribes started to intermarry. And then that those intermarrying tribes then created a conglomeration of basically this larger tribe, which turns out, which we call a nation. And that's generally kind of how it has worked. And there's you, the, the unique, like, as you go from, like, nation size to where, like, there's, there's national traditions and stuff like that with the nation in America. We, you know, we have our 4th of July and, uh, so Veterans Day isn't unique to the United States, but our various remembrances and stuff like that for different aspects of American history and American culture, uh, when you go down and you bring it to, uh, maybe your local town has a remembrance for some specific thing, or your state has a remembrance for some specific thing, and then you go down to even smaller, and your family has its own traditions, what you guys do around Christmas, what you guys do around uh, Easter, things like that. And so, you know, there's, you have your specific things, but a lot of the stuff that you do for your Easter, your Christmas and stuff like that, it's pretty similar to a lot of what your friends are doing, what your, uh, your cousins are doing, what, you know, your extended family kind of people are doing. And then as you grow that up, you know, it's the specifics that are the same are less and less. It, it becomes more worn down, but there is still a, there's still some common threads that you can pull from that it's like here's what makes this group have a unique tradition or uh, cultural uh, guidestone that is different from this other group and so it was uh i don't know what my point was that with that it's just kind of interesting 
uh, what, uh, how, how just banning the, uh, that kind of marriage thing really formed larger bonds and communities that eventually would coalesce in, um, the nation, the creation of nation states and nations uh, of people instead of being identified with, uh, these much smaller, uh, populous groups such as your tribe or your town or things of that nature where, uh, you know, you kind of got to expand out what is allowed and maybe that's not the right term, but, uh, anyway, uh, so another question that I had posed to myself earlier is, uh, when early empires formed, they must not have all failed by faction apart. Otherwise, how would the larger communal groups known as nations be able to be formed? I basically just answered that question. Um, do, that's a difference between country and city. Okay, I think that's everything that I wanted to talk about with regards to that. Let's go to the next one. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of what I had on, um, on that front in terms of like what a nation is, what nationalism is, uh, and it's, it's not a clear answer. There's a lot of questions on what is going on, what, what these different things are. And, uh, let me just make sure there isn't anything else that I'm missing. Do oh, I guess one last aspect to the, the nationalist question is uh, foreigners in a nation's land. This is where it gets kind of weird because it's, you know, there's obviously always going to be some amount of foreigners in everybody's land. And uh, also, they're, not every ethnic group is necessarily going to have their own nation state. Um there's usually always small pockets within various countries. Uh, I know Russia has a bunch of them. America obviously has a ton. Um, China has a bunch, mainly in their uh, where the Uyghurs are at, and they're in uh, the western uh, northwestern corner is mainly where the uh, non-Han Chinese are. Um. So. How do I say that? So, okay, I'll just read the thing. So, if nationalism is the natural, uh, is man's natural state, and a man cannot serve two masters, then it seems almost imperative to the uh, national in a foreign land to subvert it and make it like the motherland, as otherwise you would not be serving the interests of your nation, and therefore are a traitor to your own people. So this is where it gets kind of weird. It's like. You, if you're in somebody else's house, you should be a good guest and follow their rules. Um, but then you have this other issue that kind of comes in of, like, you can't serve two masters. And I guess you wouldn't... As long as you're not serving their national interest and just kind of keeping your head down, uh, that seems like maybe a middle ground that you could come to. But... Um, it's just something that's kind of interesting. This is why we see so much. I think this this kind of tug of war is why we see so much um, subversive 
action by foreign people in another person's land because this is just well part of it is this is how they understand how to run things right it's like uh, when you when you go from one group to another group and this is and the one group run it ran it this one way this other group runs it a different way most people are going to be like well i'm familiar with running it this other way so i want to run it that way whether and they never even take the time to figure out whether or not that's a better way of running things or whether or not it makes sense to do things that way or is there a reason that they don't run it that way uh or you left more importantly with a lot of these people that are coming over is you left that area that whatever group because you didn't like how things were run but yet you're trying to change how things are run in this new group to be like that other group that you supposedly hate so this is something that happens all the time um do do uh, but the thing that maintains the society best is for you to willingly submit to the national uh, to the nationals under which you now reside. This uh, is a contradiction ultimately leads to the only solution being not letting foreigners in in the first place. So that's kind of where it, don't you know sink the ships, don't let immigrants into the nation in the first place and you won't have this issue. Uh, it's not something that most people, are willing at least right now they're not willing to do you know victory has defeated you is kind of the uh going phrase of the day where people we're so comfortable or whatever that we don't we have to go out of our way to build ourselves up not build ourselves up but uh, stand against a lot of these issues that we see in the modern day and go above and beyond our comforts and and become uncomfortable to fix these issues and it's gonna and that uncomfort that we initially experienced to fix this issue doesn't mean that we can go back to being lazy in fact it's going to lead to more uncomfort and make it so that we have to work even harder and that's just a proposition that most people are not willing to face unfortunately if we don't do that um it's all going to come crashing down and it's all going to hit you all at once and it's going to be a lot harder to change. It's much easier to change a little bit over a long period of time than have to change everything overnight, right? And a lot of people won't even be able to do it. Like, especially if, um, <clears throat> let's say a war breaks out or something like that, and like the amount of people that are out of shape and out of, uh, the people, the amount of people that are out of shape and couldn't, don't have the physical physique to be able to conduct a war even, uh, to conduct a military operation would be so astronomically high that they they don't have the time to get into shape to be able to do this kind of stuff. And so they might just end up being swept up in the whole um, stuff that's happening and just get basically bowled over and not have a spot. So uh, that's why it's better to change things now than just uh, and be uh, influence things instead of going with the flow and hoping that... Uh, the winds don't blow you away. So I guess that's my little, I don't know if it's a black pill or a white pill. Uh, the, the, uh, was it? Be the change you want to be in the world, right? Uh, and it doesn't have to be much. Just take little steps every day. Uh, go outside your comfort zone. Do something a little different. If you usually, like if you have some dogs and you don't usually take them on a walk, take them on a walk. You know, it's, it's little things that add up to a lot over time. Um, try not to make it too complicated. Don't make the goal so big that you'll You'll intentionally fail it so that you don't actually have to work on something. Uh, just take a little little step every day to build the future that you want. And it's amazing what you can do over time. 
and what uh, what happens when you when you take those steps. Uh, but anyway, that's pretty much it for me um, on this issue, not issue, but this topic. Uh, so thanks everybody. My last uh, podcast was uh, received very well, so thank you everybody who listened, and hopefully I retain some of you this time around. Also, I will be at Freedom Fest this upcoming week, so if you're there and you happen to listen to the podcast, uh, come by and say hi. Uh, I think it'd be fun to um, meet some new people. I don't. I'm just going out there solo. Don't really know anybody out there, so. Uh, it'll be fun to, to meet some new people if you are going. Anyway, uh, help, have yourselves all a good day and, uh, find this on YouTube and BitChute and Podbean when it is over. Thank you and goodbye.